This is Let's Talk to Lucy, starring Lucille Ball. A very warm welcome to you all. I'm Gary Morton, and now, let's talk to Lucy. Hi, this is Lucy, and I am visiting today with a very good friend of mine. He is known universally for his role of Elliot Ness in The Untouchables. I'm speaking of Mr. Bob Stack. Hi, Bob. Hi, Lucy. You know, to me, you are the epitome of what we mean when we say the all-American man. Now, don't give me any shakes of the head there, because <laughs> you excel in so many things, Bob, that I, I've got to talk about that for a little bit. I've got to know, first of all, where you got the training, the what, go, what went on in your mind at what age that uh, taught you to perfect things the way you do and to excel in them, in them the way you do. I think it's marvelous. What was the first thing that you excelled in? Well, Lucy, as a matter of fact, I started shooting at a very early age. That's kind of a... You mean skeet shooting or what? Yeah, skeet shooting, play target shooting. My father passed away when I was only about uh, four or five years of age and... Uh, being brought up by women, my mother thought it'd be kind of a good idea if I got out and uh, among them and had a friendship of men and grew up among them. And my father's gun collection was in the house and she made sure that the uh, shells were taken out of all the guns and whatever. And from the age of about seven on, I, I played with them and got to know them and love them. And uh, from about the age nine, I began shooting. And uh, at that time, they had five-man teams and I was the youngest and I grew up with some of the older great shots, and they uh, taught me a great many things about shooting and about living. Yes, and discipline of yourself, which is a great start. What was the next thing that you tackled and, and did so well? well you I'm, seem to excel in everything that you take up. Well, I'm a stubborn Irishman. I don't like to be... Well, that's a pretty good answer. <laughs> that accounts for a lot of it. You are all Irish, Bob? No, actually, my father was Scotch-Irish, my mother was English. That's and, what uh, we are, Scotch-Irish and English. By George. Yeah, by George. Uh, there you and are. with a little French thrown in. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, I, I shot and I got quite good. I was very lucky. I was All-American and held a couple of world's records when I was 17 and 16. And then I, I got into polo, which my father played. And I liked that. And we got lucky and won the intercollegiates in college. And uh, What college was that, Bob? USC. Uh-huh. And uh, I've always liked sports. Strangely, I've heard people say, many of the uh, younger actors that, uh, in fact, one of the boys was no longer with us, uh, I've heard them say, or at least the uh, Sob sisters write stories about their having death wishes and wanting to kill themselves. And all the sports that I was involved in, I, I loved, and polo's a fairly dangerous game, and I raced uh, cars and motorcycles, but I, I, for one, I always found a great... Uh, catharsis, a great joy out of it. I never once thought, nor did I, any of my friends think, that they were going to go into it for the sort of razor-edge death wish kind of a thing which I read about lately in the fan mags. Yes, and I agree with some of those stories in the fan mags, Bob, but I also agree, because I know you, and I've known you for quite some time, that at no time did you entertain that thought, because you started with a much different idea, not just for a thrill, you seem, I presume, when you were much, much younger, always to start fundamentally to learn how to do something well. And there's the difference. Rather than just jumping on a, a motorcycle or doing something for a thrill, a kick. That's exactly it, Lucy. And uh, if it was driving motorcycles or cars, I was lucky enough to be associated with people who uh, 
who could do it well and uh, taught you. Yes, and as a consequence, it was the joy of not only just of speed, but of doing it well, not just the joy of going out there and wrapping your head through a cement mm -hmm. wall. Well, it's a wonderful thing. You have children now, don't you, Bob? <laughs> yes, I've got uh, little, what ages? little girl eight, little boy uh, six and a half, and of course I. Friends of mine say, well, now, what are you going to tell him when he says, how about a motorcycle? Yes. And I say, oh, I don't know. I, I'll think of something. He say, Daddy, you had one. I say, yes, I know, son, but it's different. There's more traffic now or something. I'll think of something. <laughs> <laughs> but you have, must have started him on something that he is perfecting at the moment. I'll bet you. Yes, he, uh, I think very strongly about this uh, for youngsters. I think the academic aspects are very important. I also think that the... Uh, a healthy mind and a healthy body also works. I was taught at a very early age in school uh, how to swim and how to do athletics and... Uh, to respect your body. Exactly. And as a consequence, uh, in the untouchables, as a matter of fact, we had some very taxing things to do. We you had, sure did. We had stunts that were quite demanding, and uh, as an actor, well, as you know, my gosh, you're a wonderful dancer, and you run around the stage, and this is part and parcel of your charm and great success in your show. But really, I think it's an actor's task to keep himself in shape and flexible enough so he can do the jobs. I don't mean the things that, that stand-in doubles do because it's so dangerous you may kill yourself, but I mean in general, I think that... Uh, the more you can do well, the better for your profession. Exactly. It's something that I tell young people all the time, and they sit around and waste years, and they could be taking lessons. They don't even have to pay for some of the lessons they could be taking if they took advantage of what's around them. They just don't realize the value in the sports, the uh, fencing, yes. tennis, swimming, horseback riding. Uh, name some others that you have done. I've done those, and of course, uh, being able to handle any kind of uh, speed, I've, I've fencing was, was a great help to me because uh, uh, they're talking now, a lot of the boys even talked to Elvis Presley, and he was, uh, he's a specialist of all things in karate. Well. Uh, not just in the field of self-defense, uh, he's black belt, which is as high as you can go. It doesn't seem to go with, with Golly, him. Golly, I didn't know that. Oh, yes, he's a, he's a great specialist in that field. It teaches you. It's a, it's a sort of a oriental approach to living, to control of the body, and uh, it's, it's almost got a sense of yoga in there. Uh, but this is never lost because it teaches you coordination. It teaches you... Well, I use the word grace. For instance, if, you, if anybody ever saw Marlon Brando in the original streetcar on stage, his use of, of body without opening his mouth created a character that uh, is unforgettable. So they all tie together somehow, and I think you can't do one to the exclusion of the other. Of course, but not everyone does them as well as you do. That's why you're my all-American boy. <laughs> I don't know if uh, uh, everyone is, is uh, aware of the fact that we were looking for another actor for The Untouchables years ago when we first put this show together here at Desilu. And uh, we had someone else signed. And at the last moment, and I mean literally the last moment, as you well remember, Bob Stack, <laughs> yes. in the middle of the night, we called Bob and said, uh, there has been a, a slight upset. We are not able to get the gentleman we wanted for The Untouchables. We say, f quite frankly to you, that knowing that you would be second choice, we hope that you forget it immediately and make your decision before 8 o'clock in the morning. And this was about 2 o'clock, wasn't it? Yes, that was quite a night. It's funny you mention that uh, because uh, I went to Western Costume for the outfit and... Uh, there's no, there's no sense not mentioning his name. He's a good friend of mine. It's Van Johnson. And uh, I went down there for the fittings, and I walked in, and the fellow took it for granted, of course, a fitter, that uh, that was who it was. And he said, well, uh, come in here, Mr. Johnson. And 
here your clothes, and on the <laughs> all the clothes had the tag on them, Van Johnson. That's how far we had gone, ready said, to start the next morning. I think you ought to know I may change my name, to, but it, right now it happens to be Robert Stock. <laughs> and, but, and also, it's funny, on, on the choosing, I think, for a performer, because people have also said, don't you feel as if it's a, a kind of a slap in the face to be second or third choice? And I think... Uh, an old English actor once told me, he said, as long as you think in your heart of hearts you are first choice, that's all that matters. It's only an opinion as far as the other people are concerned, and your opinion is as good as theirs. That's very good. I never heard that before. It's a way to survive, at least. Yes, it is, and it certainly <laughs> has never bothered me. My career was built because Ann Southern didn't have time to do all the parts they wanted her for. And Bill Holden because they couldn't get, uh, they couldn't get Ray Land or uh, Monty Clift for well, Sunset Boulevard. That's true of most all of us. Of course. Nobody and I have does. another truth to throw at you right now. Our time is up for today. Can you believe it? <laughs> my radio time is very short. It is. Well, but it is very interesting to my listeners, according to the letters I get. And your life story, I must get a lot more of. Now, will you please be with us tomorrow? You can count on that. Oh, good, Bob. I have been talking to Mr. Bob Stack. I hope you've enjoyed it, and I hope you'll be with us again tomorrow. Bye for now. Hi, this is Lucy. And again today, my guest is Mr. Bob Stack. Bob Stack is a very old friend of mine, and a very dear friend. Has been known for the last few years as Elliot Ness in The Untouchables. And I mentioned yesterday that he, to me, is the all-American man. And we talked uh, at some length about how come he excels in so many things, and his answers were just fabulous, and I hope you didn't miss him. Hi, Bob. Oh, hi, Lucy. Thanks for coming back again oh, today. It's a pleasure. We're, um, just going to ask a few more questions. Now, first, I want to hear about your beautiful wife. Her name is Rosemarie, and Rosemarie Bowen, she was under contract to Columbia, and I stole her away on a dark night when she couldn't see very well and uh, <laughs> quickly married her, and she uh, has given us two lovely children, and I'm going to try to the best I can to keep her out of the business. <laughs> Why is that, Bob? Uh, well, you do television, Lucy, and for people who don't do and don't really know the, the work, somebody said about television, it's like taking a a gallon of water and trying to pour it in a half-pint bottle. You try, as you know, in six days to do the work that we used to do in motion pictures in six weeks or six months. And it puts a terrible strain, particularly, uh, you must do your homework. You come home and, as a consequence, you learn lines and do whatever. So you have very little time when you're working for anything but just surviving. Now, if you compound that with somebody else doing another series, and the two of you are doing the same thing, and then uh, the cook gets custody of the children, it works out, uh, <laughs> that's not my idea of living. Oh, you're wonderful. <laughs> and that is so true, darling. So true. Your wife is so beautiful. Did that have a lot to do with your choosing Rosemary? Rosemary, is that right? It's Rosemary. I Rosemary. called her Rosemary, and the day we got married, she finally says, I think I should tell you it's Rosemary. <laughs> <laughs> Not that it makes any difference. Yes, of course, my gosh, any more than I thought. How and long did you know her? I knew her about two years. Well, then it wasn't just for her beauty. No, well, it was not just for her beauty. It was also that I was scared to death of marriage, as uh, I'm prone to admit it, and I couldn't think of offhand any two or three people that I knew who had made it in the business. At that time, it seemed like everybody lasted about 15 minutes, and I, uh, I was scared to death of it. Uh, I came from a broken home, and uh, my brother had had two marriages, and it was just somebody said, why did you get married? I said, because I had no choice. I couldn't stand the idea of having her running around loose. And uh, <laughs> You really fell in love, didn't oh you? Oh, boy, and how? Well, I can see why. My, she's, I guess she's one of the most beautiful women I have ever seen, inside and out. 
She's, she's a, a great lady. She's a, a great mother. I tell you, it's a town when we're God-given the things that we have in this profession of ours. I, Gable once told me, who was a, a great dear man and a friend of mine for many years since I was a little boy, I used to shoot with him. And uh, he said to me when I first got in the profession, and he was, uh, well, he was a king. He was just too much, as you know. Anyway, he Indeed. said, now, now, when you get in there, when things are right, and when you get a good part, he said, it's like getting paid for having a good time, but uh, don't tell the producers that. I said, don't worry, I won't, but it's true. It's a wonderful profession, and uh, anyway, we, we, we're all very lucky people, and I think that uh, to bring up children uh, and to give them any sense of values in this never-never land of uh, movie star and quotation marks is a, a difficult thing, and she's a very, very simple girl, and uh, has a great faith and is very strict in the, in the sense that they will not be spoiled, if that's a word. And uh, I'm very fond of her. <laughs> oh, I think I she's see. a doll. What a nice way to put it. What a nice thing you just said, Bob. It's true. And I love the thoughts you have about your family. And it is difficult out here. Of course, it's difficult all over. Of because uh, probably we all have too much free time, a little too much... Uh, it's things are different. We'll put it that way than they used to be, but to have someone with that straightforward uh, kind of thought-out view of how a family should be brought up also is unusual. A lot of people don't give all of this enough thought. Some of the indulgences, strangely enough, in our profession uh, to the children, I mean, come from weirdly enough from people uh, who've had very very humble origins, and they they when they make success in the motion picture business, it's just like they've been given the moon. And they like to visit on their children all the things they didn't have. This uh, is true in any profession. I guess. And suddenly at the age of nine or 10, they're given miniature Thunderbirds. And by the time they got 13, they got their Rolls Royce. And by the time they're 16, they've got no place to go. And uh, it's kind of too bad. It's the thing about, I didn't have it, so my son will have it. And that's a big danger, I think. Yes. I, if they don't it's work... a big American fault. Yes, it is. Bob, you've done something very unusual and exciting. Four TV specials on the American Sportsman. Is that right? Yes. And I don't know anyone better equipped for that than Bob Stack. Now, the first one has already been on the air, and they cover such things as lion hunts in Africa? Yes, we made a safari in Africa. I wasn't sure I was going to like it, uh, but I got into it, and it was so exciting. It's actually the most exciting four weeks of my life, and they just... Uh, they covered it with three cameras and radio microphones, and what happens is not performing, it's just, uh, you can see my teeth shake and uh, the perspiration, and it's, uh, it's a strange kind of an immediacy that I've seen uh, on very few shows because you can't act it really, you're there, and as Bob... You don't would, have time to do any acting, uh, you just do. That's right, and it's exciting, I think. Uh, people who've seen it say that uh, you feel as if you are actually there, which is... Up till now, they've always had the, the narrative voice over it, but now there is no narration and you only hear the voices of the white hunter and you and the growls of the lion and the screams. And <laughs> well, I think that's sensational. Are they going to leave it that way? Yeah. The second fine. one is a pheasant hunt in South Dakota. Is that yes, right? Yes, and also there's a shot of Joe Foss shooting a, a real rogue elephant. This one, the, this one was killing all the cattle and chasing all the Maasai, and uh, he's in charge when he's coming towards camera. He almost uh, killed one of the cameramen, as a matter of fact. This stuff got pretty hairy towards the end, because you're dealing with things you can't control. You can't say, hey, elephant, a little more to the left. It, uh, yeah. And that fishing stuff was pretty exciting, too. Where was that? Was that in Bimini? Yeah. I used to do some fishing in Bimini. I caught a 70-pound amberjack down there and a 50-pound grouper or two, and I saw an 800-pound jewfish 
an 800-pound Jewfish that was what you call um, uh, trapped inside the hull of an old Spanish-American War ship that had sunk right in the bay there. And this fish had somehow been trapped and was now over 800 pounds. This was some years ago. Trapped in the, in, in, in the ship? Yes, it could not get out. Oh, and just, of course, had all kinds of food for it because the little fish just swam right through the hull of this, the skeleton of this boat. But the big Jewfish could not get out. It was an awfully uh, traumatic sight for me because I have claustrophobia if I'm yes. in, at an elevator. What did you catch in Bimini? Uh, I, this, actually, the fishing is done by Joe Brooks, who's the greatest angler, I guess, in the world. And uh, the fishing we did was in a place called Lake Rudolph in Africa, where they catch these giant Nile perch. The biggest one is about uh, 233 pounds. And uh, the same... Good heavens! Yes. The perch! Fact, perch, yes. The same perches uh, that you find in, in the Great mm. Lakes areas, except they weigh, the, as I say, the largest was 230. The one oh. I caught was uh, something about 100 and something pounds. Good heavens! It's unique to uh, the Nile and also to that particular uh, lake in Africa. It's wild country over there. It's just too much. It's just, uh, that's why Bill Holden, uh, people say, why do you want to go back? You just came back from Africa. And I said, well, you have to be there to know what it's like. It's uh, the way the good Lord designed it. The animals looked like animals. They're not behind bars. There are no high-rise buildings. And for a man, you can forget the guns. You can just go there and you come back at the end of a month feeling about a foot taller and... Uh, just as if there were no complications and no Vietnam and no problems in the world. It's, I recommend it. It would put all the psychiatrists out of business, I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're wonderful. I can hardly wait to see the specials. And our time is up again for today. Oh, Bob, please, a little bit more time tomorrow. You can't get rid of me. I'll be here. All right, thank you. I've been talking to Mr. Bob Stack, and he's a pretty interesting man, besides being very, very handsome. See you tomorrow. Bye for now. Hi, this is Lucy, and with me again today, the fabulous Mr. Bob Stack is my guest. You last heard about Mr. Stack as Elliot Ness on The Untouchables. For several years now, we've tried to talk Bob into doing some more television, but he didn't find anything to his liking until just recently when he decided to do something that I think is just wonderful. He has made four specials called The American Sportsman, and there's not a young man in this country any more suited for this than Mr. Robert Stack. Yesterday, we discussed in some detail the contents of these specials. The first one has already been shown, and I'm sure that every man in the country will be watching for the rest of them. Of course, I'm looking at what I call the all-American man. I think Bob Stack, because he excels in so many things, which we talked about the other day, because of his way of thinking and his way of running his own life so beautifully, I just uh, have so much respect admiration for you, Bob. I just can't tell you enough, and I mean it very, very well, sincerely. Lucy, it's, it's, uh, you're so sweet, and coming from you, that's uh, such a compliment. But you know, a strange thing, I've been called the All-American, when I first started in the business, All-American whatever, I don't know what All-American is really, except that I hope it represents uh, something good. I, I, to me it does. Well, I, I know, I, and, and you're an angel face for saying it. But the strange thing is, Lucy, that, that I spent my childhood in Europe I went to France when I was a year old, and my first language is French, and I, I came back when I was about seven, and I couldn't speak a word of English. Huh. And uh, my brother stayed in America, and I had to have an interpreter to speak to him. 
And For heaven's it, sake. It took me until I was about eight years old to really speak English. And uh, you, did, your, did your family have a lot of money, Bob? No, that's, uh, I came to America. It was a strange thing. My mother was a singer, and she lived in a, lived in a small apartment in Paris. And she studied voice, and uh, I never got used to the affluence in this country. I came back, I remember, I, I was so taken by the fact that the people lived so, not only so well, but so differently. Over there, for instance, with the three of us, if, if, uh, if somebody ordered eggs for the family, there would be three eggs. Nobody bought a dozen eggs. And uh, I can remember we'd walk through the parks, we'd pick up twigs and stuff to start fires with. I don't mean to sound like we were poverty-stricken. It's not that. It was but just the, the custom. The custom, the, the approach to living is so different. Whereas over here, it's everything is so kind of homogenized and pasteurized. and There's doesn't, so much waste. And supermarkets and all the food goes in the garbage can that, uh, uh, anyway. But it's a, different, it's a different approach to living. So it's kind of strange that, that being uh, on the American sportsman and you're being kind enough to think of me as, as representing I, America is it's so strange that I spent my childhood and really uh, I, I think that I have a great many of the hangovers of, uh, of having been in Europe because I have a, a greater love for America having come from there, I think, than if I had uh, actually spent my entire childhood here. Where did the story start that you are from a very wealthy family? Well, that's mother and father, actually. Mother and father were divorced, and uh, mother went to uh, Europe to study voice, and my brother stayed with dad. And they remarried uh, when we came back from Europe. But uh, the formative years, as you know, are from one to seven, and by that time, uh, yes. uh, I was kind of just, uh, I was taken aback by it all. It wasn't that I thought it was wonderful or great, it's just that... Uh, you didn't understand didn't it? Didn't understand it. Yeah. But the uh, fact that you did have a few bucks uh, doesn't mean that it colored your life in any way, because you had the early training where having a little bit of money, no matter from whence, uh, didn't mean anything. You were brought up uh, correctly, to my way of thinking, that and there... I was lucky also in one respect, that I, I was sort of taught that you have to work for things to get any fun out of it. And people have asked me why I don't like gambling. Well, I, I f it's not that I dislike it or have a hatred for it. It's just that if I win, I feel I haven't earned it, and if I lose, I feel like a darn fool. And the same thing is true in a sense. That's why with the untouchables, it was such a joy, because heaven knows he worked hard enough, but... Uh, I don't think anyone gave us anything for that show we didn't deserve. I'm talking about the crew now, because we really tried to make it good. And when we got the Emmy, it was something you could sort of sit back and say, well, doggone, we worked for this one. Yes, I know and you so, had that feeling, and everyone did. It was a well-presented show. Thanks to it you. presented, thanks to Mr. Arnaz. Yes. Uh, it was presented about an era, which we cannot deny in this country. It did happen, and we presented it as truthfully as we could. And uh, a lot of people took exception to it, but I have never felt that we shouldn't have made it. Of and you certainly not. added great authenticity to it, and we tried very diligently to make it authentic. I love the show, and the nature of, of, the, of the medium, uh, to cut it very short, the nature of the medium is such that what started out very simply as a morality play of good vs. evil, uh, by censorship, because you can't talk about somebody being bad in television, you have to show them being bad, and by cutting the legs out, but what they called taking the violence out, what happened towards the end, unfortunately, was that the, the sympathies became misplaced. Because right. Ness could only be the dedicated man he was in opposition to something that was evil. And if you don't show them being evil, you wind up with the heavies being the heroes, and it's kind of too bad. That's right. That's it's amazing to me that anyone could take exception at our doing the uh, untouchables and doing it well and depicting this era I just don't understand it at all because we certainly showed the um, 
folly of their ways. Of and we certainly wouldn't want to go back into that era. And uh, what is the difference in, in depicting that era or any other era? Of course. If it happened. Bob, uh, I would like to ask you a few questions. All right. They're impromptu questions. And uh, give me any kind of answers you want. <laughs> this is sort of a quick little Rorschach, we'll call it. Oh, boy. What is your idea of a good wife, the ideal wife? And I know you have one, but what is your idea? A girl who has a sense of humor, who is adaptable, who, um, a girl that you can include in your life so that you're, you have a common end in view. Uh, a short example, as short as possible, the decision to do television, I knew, would uh, change my life entirely. And we sat up the entire night before doing the series and made it a, a communal decision instead of my saying, I'm going to do TV and you're going to stay home. And so I felt that no matter how much we suffered or whatever in not seeing each other, uh, it was a decision made between the two of us. Very good. What attracts you to a woman first? <laughs> I think as a composite, I think uh, any man in the world, they talk about the various aspects of a woman, whether it's their eyes or their hair or their legs or whatever. I think a man sees a composite and... Uh, and, of course, everybody likes a beautiful girl, but thank heavens it's to each his own, otherwise they'd all be married to my wife. <laughs> oh, what a beautiful answer. Oh, Bob, isn't it? I hope Rosemarie is listening to this. Do you find that you chose a wife who reminds you of your mother? No, I chose a wife that I had, uh, I think I may have mentioned, I had no choice. I had never fallen in love before. It's my first trip around. Isn't that strange? I never fell in love before. It's wonderful. It sounds kind of corny, but really, and it, it drove me so crazy that literally I couldn't stand being without her, so we got married. No, I, she doesn't remind me of anyone. She's completely different from my mother and doesn't fit at all uh, the childhood image of the girl you're going to marry because that's a lot of baloney, too. Either it works or it doesn't. It happens or it doesn't. Well, boy, it's happened. <laughs> With you all around, everything has happened. You kind of look like you've always had good fortune. I know that isn't always true, but it's, uh, you give that aura. I have devils like everybody, you know. It's, uh, the face is always, many times belies. It's like you with a comedy face, and uh, I know what a darn good dramatic actress you are, and it's a strange thing. Uh, you have a Hamletish quality. Speaking of me, I know I do, and uh, it's like, I'll give you an example, The Untouchables, uh, the part of Ness is so far removed from me, and yet, after having played 120 shows, this is the only image that 99% uh, of the people think of me, and it's a... That's uh, why I wanted you on my radio show. I think we have a slightly different image yes. right now, and uh, that's what radio is good for, because... Uh, I love radio. Yes, so do I. I think it's a great way of communicating with all of America, and I'm very grateful my show does go all over America and to some of the foreign countries. Bob, you have been a wonderful guest. I love you dearly. God bless. Give my love to your family and see you soon. Thank you, darling. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I have been talking to Mr. Bob Stack. I hope you've enjoyed listening. Bye for now. Are you loving Let's Talk to Lucy? Then you have a real treat in store for you. A new episode is being released every week on the SXM app and wherever you listen to podcasts.